talk. One thousand rings. One thousand rings. Song Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Top 1000 Radio. I am your host, Chris Naren, and this is episode 45, song battle number 43. We're getting back to the song battles. Uh, you you kind of walked in on me while I was practicing my quarter blood technique. Um, all right, so thanks to everybody listening, sharing, following. Uh, please, if you haven't done so, do so. Rate the show five stars. All right. Uh, help me out with getting this, uh, you know, getting this thing off the ground. And, uh, and you know, if you know anybody who likes this kind of thing, please share it with them because uh, that's the nice thing to do. That's uh, generous of you. Okay. And those of you looking for uh, ideas for your own list, go to top1000radio.blogspot.com where you will see both lists, the challenger list, and the, the list in progress. I do need to update that, so I will get on it. If you're, if you're, if you're looking to make a deal, like if, if, if I'll update the list at top1000radio.blogspot.com, and you'll go on and follow and give five stars, then deal, okay? You do it, and I'll do it. We'll, we'll, we'll keep our end of the bargain, okay? Okay, this day in news, uh, 1899. Duke Ellington was born. Why do I, why do I go all the way back to 1899 on a list that's mostly rock music, and uh, why do I even talk about Duke Ellington? Because Duke Ellington is uh, one of the foundations of popular music. Okay, you gotta, you gotta give the man his due. All right, our, our, our forms, our American forms of music, uh, go back uh, all the way to the beginning. To the, uh, col- the the colonial age and, and whatnot, and uh, but Duke Ellington was um, you know a pivotal figure in in uh, bridging jazz and popular music and creating you know some of the very first superstars. Uh, this day we're talking like April 29th, okay? April 29th, uh, 1933. Willie Nelson, country music singer songwriter, was born. Uh, his birth date is actually recorded as April 30th, so if you want to fact check me on that, I'm, I'm way ahead of you. All right. Nelson has acted in over 30 films, co-authored several books, and has been involved in activism for the use of biofuels and legalization of marijuana. One's easier than the other, um, as you can tell. Along with Neil Young and John Mellencamp, he set up Farm Aid in 1985 to assist and increase awareness of the importance of family farms. All right, and I think we can all join them in, in uh, you know, agreeing on that. <laughs> and he wrote the country classic Crazy, a hit for Patsy Cline. This day in 1947, Tommy James of Tommy James and the Shondells, who had the 1966 number one single Hanky Panky, and the 1968 number one Moni Moni, and the hit I Think We're Alone Now was born. His is a very interesting story, okay? Um, I think they've made movies where they sort of, uh, in, you know, uh, include elements of his story in the film. It has to do with, like, the mafia, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting story, and uh, maybe we'll get into that one day when we get a Tommy James and the Shondells song on here, which we should, um, but... Uh, yeah, very, very uh, fascinating stuff. 
1976, this day, after a gig in Memphis, Bruce Springsteen took a cab to Elvis Presley's Graceland home and proceeded to climb over the wall. A guard took him to be another crank fan and apprehended him. And why wouldn't he? Like, why wouldn't the guard look at Bruce Springsteen in 1976, especially, and not think he's just some rando, okay? It's like, you know, <laughs> what was he expecting? I'm going to be Bruce Springsteen, you know? Um, in 1980, Black Sabbath began their first tour with vocalist Ronnie James Dio, who had replaced Ozzy Osbourne, which is relevant to today's uh, song battle, kind of. And then in 2003, a $5 million lawsuit against former Credence Clearwater revival John Fogarty was dismissed after a personal injury lawyer claimed that he suffered hearing loss in his left ear from attending a Fogarty concert. The judge and the plaintiff assumed the risk of hearing damage when he attended the concert in 1997. And the, uh, the uh, suit was dismissed with the judge saying, Okay, Boomer. In 2009, an anonymous Queen fan won a two-hour one-to-one guitar lesson with Brian May after bidding 7,600 pounds, approximately 11,900 in freedom dollars, uh, at a private charity auction, the auction in support of the Action for Brazil's Children Trust, of which May is a patron, was held at the exclusive Cuckoo Club in London. So, uh, I don't know. One of the maybe one of the unpublished episodes I did, one of the first step six episodes. Um, it might have been after that. I don't know, but uh, I was explaining how my buddy Mike, who's a excellent drummer, uh, ended up taking drum lessons with Kenny Aronoff, one of the great session drummers, one of the great drum rock drummers of all time. Uh, drummed mostly for John Mellencamp. You know, he's uh, Jack and Diane. It's probably his most famous uh, drum part, that that break, drum so little mini solo in Jack and Diane. Um, but anyway, uh, and, you know, we met him at, at this uh, trade show, and I was kind of geeking out. Um, but I was like wondering in that episode, like who else does that? Like, but drummers, you know what I mean? But now we have an example and it comes to find out that I don't think Mike won a contest. I think it was something probably more similar to this where he, it was like an auction where he, where he, he won the auction. So, so they do it. I mean, Brian May, you can't get more, you, you, I don't know how you're going to get more famous than Brian May. Um, but that, what a cool, uh, <laughs> What a cool drum, le- I mean, uh, in this case, guitar lesson to have. Uh, he probably spent most of the time teaching the guy how to make his own guitar. You know? so. All right, without further ado, let's go to our song notes. We're going to start with a hard road by Black Sabbath. <laughs> Hard Road from Black Sabbath's eighth studio album, Never Say Die, 1978. It's the last studio album with the band's original lineup and to feature original vocalist Ozzy Osbourne until the 2013 album, 13. The first and last time Sabbath guitarist Tony Iommi sang backing vocals. In Iommi's book, Iron Man, My Journey Through Heaven and Hell with Black Sabbath, he explained that whenever he sang, bassist Geezer Butler couldn't keep a straight face. Yeah. 
It's All Over Now from 12 by 5 the Stones' second studio album, 1964, written by Bobby Womack. The Stones' first number one hit in the UK and a peak number 26 in the US. In 1964, after hearing It's All Over Now by the Womack Brothers, a.k.a. the Valentinos, on the WINS show, the band recorded, the Rolling Stones, recorded their version nine days later at Chess Studios in Chicago. Years later, Bobby Womack said in an interview that he had told Sam Cooke he did not want the Rolling Stones to record their version of the song and that he told Mick Jagger to get his own song. Cooke convinced him to let the Rolling Stones record the song. Six months later on, after receiving the royalty check from the song, Womack told Cooke that Mick Jagger could have any song he wanted. Crowley to come in here, but no. Center of Eternity, first song on side two of Ozzy's third studio album, Bark at the Moon, 1983. Some European pressings identify the track Center of Eternity as Forever. On tours for the album, Osborne referred to it as Forever. This can be heard on bootleg recordings of tours promoting the album. Bark at the Moon is the only Ozzy Osbourne album on which the songwriting is credited entirely to Osbourne. However, guitarist Jakey e. Lee maintains that he composed a significant amount of the album's music. Bose cheated out of his writing and publishing claims by Osbourne's wife and manager, Sharon. Lee claims that after he had composed the songs and completed recording his parts in the studio, he was presented with a contract which stated that he would have no claim to any writing or publishing relating to the album. The contract also stated that Lee could not mention this publicly. Lee claims he signed the contract because he had no legal representation and because Sharon threatened to fire him and have another guitarist re-record his parts if he refused. the end of the world, the fourth track from U2's 1991 album, Octoon Baby. The song began as a riff composed by lead vocalist Bono from a demo, which the band revisited with success after talking with German filmmaker Wim Wenders about providing music for his film Until the End of the World. The song's lyrics describe a fictional conversation between Jesus Christ and Judas Iscariot. The first verse discusses the Last Supper. The second is about Judas identifying Jesus with a kiss on the cheek in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the final is about Judas' suicide after being overwhelmed with guilt and sadness. Until 
Until the end of the world, enjoyed airplay on alternative and rock radio in the United States where it was released as a promotional single. It peaked within the top five Billboard modern rock tracks and album rock track charts. It also peaked at number 69 on the Canadian RPM Top 100 Singles Chart 8. Fourth track on Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' second album, You're Gonna Get It, 1978. The album would eclipse the better-known debut album on the charts, peaking at number 23, and produce hit singles, I Need to Know and Listen to Her Heart. Phil Seymour of the Dwight Twilly Band provided background vocals on the song. And now it's time for lyrics and literature. All right. I pulled for a hard road. I pulled Black Sabbath. Uh, feel, forget all your sorrow. Oh, it's a hard road. Don't live in the past and look to the future. Oh, it's a hard road because life goes too fast, you know. That one put me in mind of the famous uh, George Santayana uh quote that everyone uses history i'm sorry um those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it but see santayana seemed to co- contradict himself see he he also said a country without a memory is a country of madmen which okay that's not contradictory all right but this one kind of seems to be, history is a pack of lies about events that never happened told by people who weren't there which is it george well i think what he means is okay you definitely have to remember your history, okay? A country without a memory is a country of madmen. Uh, and I would argue that a country without a memory is not a country at all. Um, and I definitely remember, I mean, I definitely uh, agree that uh, people who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Um, but what he's talking about in that third quote, history is a pack of lies about events that never happened told by people who weren't there, He's talking about the the profession of history, okay, historians. And um, if you just, well, you spend your life <laughs> uh, reading history and make that your kind of profession, um, unless you're you're completely given over to um, corruption, you you can see how how history is used as a weapon. All right, and uh, you know, once once you decide that okay, history is going to be my way of of pushing an ideology, then you're no longer um, you're no longer really doing history. You're you're doing propaganda. All right. So what what's the line between actual history and propaganda? Well, that's that's for you to decide, isn't it? Uh, for all, it's all over now, Rolling Stones. I pulled out. Well, I used to wake in the morning, get my breakfast in bed. When I'd gotten worried, she'd ease my aching head. But now she's th- here and there with every man in town. Gross. Still trying to take me for that same old clown. And there's going to be a lot, lot of Bible in this one. This Today's basically a Bible study. 
this put me in mind of the uh, the woman at the well, John 4, 16-19. Jesus said to her, that Jesus had gone to this well, uh, this famous well, and uh, he was sitting there and this Samaritan woman came up and she and he asked her for a drink of water and she's like, bro, you know, I'm Samaritan, you, you're a Jew, you, you guys don't, uh, we don't mix with each other. And, uh, you know, he said, if if you knew who was talking to you, you, you would ask me for water. You know, I'd give you living water. And then she's like, how are you going to give, you don't even have a bucket, you know. And he said, uh, he said to her, go call to your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Uh, so I always think of the Samaritan, uh, the woman at the well, whenever I, um, hear lyrics like, like it's all over now or every other role, uh, Led Zeppelin song. Okay. Talking about, and blues songs where, uh, the poor, the poor blues man is lamenting his woman's, uh, less, less licentiousness. Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, to put it uh, the way uh, Gus from the excellent TV detective show Psych would say, uh, you need Jesus. Uh, Center of Eternity by Ozzy Osbourne. The time is coming, but also going, and it's leaving never to return. It may be heaven, could be forever, but if it's hell, then you can watch me burn. Okay. I don't know why, but this this made me uh, this made me think of Solomon Kane. If you're not familiar with Solomon Kane, they did an okay movie about it, uh, based on it. Uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, it was just okay. It it definitely didn't um, bear any resemblance to the character. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's the guy who came up with Conan the Barbarian, uh, Robert E. Howard. Uh, you more literate people can. Uh, uh, check my facts there, but uh, I, I had a collection of the stories. Uh, they're really cool. I mean, I wish they would actually do a uh, extended series. You know, one of the streaming services needs to do do one. Um, and this is from the uh, the the um, uh, yes, yeah, Robert E. Howard. I was right. I wrote it down. The Savage Tales of Solomon Cain, and they were they'd be perfect for an anthology series because it's just a collection of short stories. I am Solomon Cain. The voice was resonant and powerful. Are you prepared to meet your God? Why, Monsieur Le Loup answered, bowing. I assure you I'm as ready as I ever will be. I might ask Monsieur the same question. No doubt I stated my inquiry wrongly, Cain said grimly. I will change it. Are you prepared to meet your master, the devil? You see, because in the song, he says, you know, it could be heaven, it could be forever. But if it's hell, then you can watch me burn, you know? And I, I like to think sometimes these characters are from other stories. And, like, this character is, uh, you know, from the Robert E. Howard story of Solomon K. So, and he's, you know, it's like the other side of the story. You know what I mean? Plus there was a, um, <laughs> they just came out with a new season of Beavis and Butthead. And the first episode, uh, Beavis and Butthead are required to attend a, uh, a meditation session with Mr. Van Driesen and uh, he tells them to empty their minds out so they can reach enlightenment and they have no problem whatsoever and they, their body their their spirits float up into 
into uh, the, you know the ether or whatever, and they end up in in the, uh, the I, I guess they call it enlightenment with Buddha and Jesus and I mean it's stupid. It, the, anytime they do something, like, but it's like it's kind of it's kind of like yeah, the whole empty your your mind of thought is is not the uh, you know the enlightenment people think it is. <laughs> it's something Beavis and Buddy could easily do. Um, for until the end of the world, I took uh, I took the money. I spiked your drink. You miss too much these days if you stop to think. You led me on with those innocent eyes. You know I love the element of surprise. In the garden, I was playing the tart. I kissed your lips and broke your heart. You, you were acting like it was the end of the world. And this is uh, Mark 14, verses 43 through 50. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, he went right up to him and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they took a hold of him and arrested him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as though I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple complex, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Run away! Uh, For Magnolia, Tom Petty, I pulled out. Well, her lips were as warm as that wet southern night. Her eyes were as black as the sky. And I wondered aloud just what I had done right as I lay there with her by my side. Then she took a hold of my hand as she looked up at me and said, Now I must tell you goodbye. And there in the moonlight, as I watched her leave, I felt a chill down inside. This one put me in mind of Walker Percy. Okay, For one, the song's called Magnolia. And if you're not aware, the Magnolia flower is the official state flower of the great state of Mississippi. And Walker Percy is one of the, uh, the great uh, authors right, right there with... Uh, well, probably not right there with William Faulkner, but uh, he actually met Will. Well, he was he went with his good friend Shelby Foote. They both they both grew up in Greenville, the little podunk town that that me, my brother, and Emo Sean are from. Um, and um, they went to Greenville High School, and uh, uh, which I didn't attend. I we went to a country school outside the city, uh, but I did learn how to play football. Uh, in a park right next to the school, so <coughs> spent a lot of time there. Um, anyway, they they went to William Faulkner's house when he was still alive, and uh, Shelby Foote had the guts to go and talk to him. But Walker Percy sat in the car, too nervous <laughs> to talk to him. But he went on to be um, a, a uh, an author of note. He wrote a, a novel in 1961 called The Movie Goer, and The Movie Goer is kind of like. Gosh, it's almost like a novelization of of Mad Men. <coughs> the main character has a lot of similarities to Don Draper, if you're familiar with that that uh, that TV show that was out years ago. Um, but he says in in the moviegoer, where there's a chance of gain, there's also a chance of loss. Whenever one courts great happiness, one also risks malaise. Very, 
very Mississippi of you, Walker Percy. And his his uncle <clears throat> was a state was a senator. His name was Leroy Percy, and uh, they they named a state park after him. And my family, we did our family reunions there for years. Every year at, at the last week of school, uh, they would load us up on a bus and take us over there, <coughs> where we could swim and do paddle boats. Even though there were alligators in the water, but they had the they had the they had this big alligator. Um, habitat there that's just huge and and you know you're driving to the park and you see the you know the fences for the alligator habitat and they're like leaned over and they're they're the bent into the shape of an alligator and you're just going that that's okay guys you know so yeah that's pretty uh it was pretty cool all right that does it for lyrics and literature Okay, it is time for us to get on with our Council of Learned Elders reviews. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start with Emo Sean, and then uh, Artillo's gonna kick the extra point. Take it away, Helium Boy. Top one thousand radio listeners all over the globe. Emo Sean here, expressing feels on this here song battle. May we proceed? Yes, we may. Number five, Center of Eternity. Oh, Emo Sean has nostalgic vibes. Continual listeners know that Emo Sean's heavy metal hero was Ozzy. The opening organ piece, man. Emo Sean loves him some Bach-style organ. Bells and Gregorian chanting, that's freaking so metal. Jakey Lee shreds. It's a great album. Come, nostalgia time travel with Emo Sean back to 1984. Bark at the Moon was released in November of 1983. Emo Sean probably took his Camelot Music gift certificate he got for Christmas and bought Bark at the Moon. Emo Sean loved music store gift certificates. Anywho, Emo Sean used to listen to this album while playing Cubert or Frogger on the state-of-the-art gaming console called Intellivision. Oh, how Emo Sean looks fondly upon simpler times. Number four, Magnolia. This song was very appealing to Emo Sean. It is fresh because it isn't some, something you hear on the radio. Sometimes Tom is hit and miss for Emo Sean. Magnolia paints a picture that a southern boy like Emo Sean understands. Magnolia trees and the smell of the flowers, humid southern nights, of course all referring to the girl he met, but he can recall and still sense the South, and it is making Emo Sean emo. Tom hits and he scores on this one. Number three, Until the End of the World. Good groove laid down at the beginning by Larry Muller Jr. The lyrics are so clear when re realizing Bono was singing from the perspective of Judas from the biblical account of his betrayal of Christ. Emotion feels like the last verse is from Bono's own perspective because although Judas had regret, he ended his life never reaching out for forgiveness. Emotion doesn't know if this is a proper analysis. He is sure there's a bunch to talk about with this here song. And number two, it's all over now. Emotion likes old stones. This list made Emotion put this song at two. 
In a crap list, it would be a five. It is reminiscent of some Chuck Berry. And number one, a hard road. Mmm, Emo Sean really does not like this. Ozzy is extra whiny. I'm not feeling any of it. It is hard to believe this is Sabbath. The song feels too sunny and flowery and nice. Sabbath may have been trying to find some relevance at this time, but Emo Sean thinks Sabbath's original recipe stands the test of time. Emo Sean can and will forget this song. But don't you forget about Emo Sean. Later, skaters. Yo, this is Artillo coming in late, making my editor wait, because my basement layer is being worked on at the moment. I'm here with a brief history of time, or whatever. Center of Eternity by Ozzy. Five. What? Yes! I'm into songs about time, not a secret. Yes, there are a few exceptions to the rule, but this is a must-have. And I'm going to move on because I believe this song is well covered by my cohort. And also because it's about to get convoluted. Because this is a three-way tie. But we don't have that here. So I'm just going to keep you all in suspense for a few minutes to appease myself. You're welcome. Our host has ascended from the couplet battle into the more elevated realm of lyrics and literature. But, I'm going to bring it back down a notch and resurrect the couplet spirit a little bit here. So, you can get a little highbrow and a little lowbrow right here in one podcast. Why? Because I'm about the poetry. And in poetry, sometimes a line or two can have more impact than a larger excerpt. And here's a couple of my favorite lines from Until the End of the World. Everybody having a good time, except you. You were talking about the end of the world. I really like this stark contrast. It just puts the zoom lens in quick focus. And, in my dream, I was drowning my sorrows, but my sorrows, they learned to swim. I think this was just a great visual. I think... People can get tripped up on Bono's lyrics in general, and they do. There's a lot of criticism that comes up, which our host has brought up before. Is it biblically accurate? Is it authentic? Is he talking about this? Is he talking about something else? Etc. But he's using a lot of imagery in this song, and it's mixed imagery, and it overlaps in mixed metaphors, and I think that is totally intentional. This is why just a line or two of poetry can have huge impact because of juxtaposition and implication. You can overlap one line with another when you refuse to specify punctuation. You can use one line to imply that it is related to different imagery or different contexts in the same song. You can be vague and leave interpretation up to the listener and blame a part of the song on them. Trixie, I know. All's fair in poetry and war. Fun fact. Well, I don't know if I would call this a fact, but 
If you do a search on Intel the end of the world, one of the things that comes up is this. Learn English in a fun way with the music video and the lyrics of the song Until the End of the World of U2. May I just say, I don't think that's a good idea. But when asked where she learned English, Cassandra did say in Wayne's World, college and the police academy movies. Moving on from the English of the U2 song, I'm going to talk a little bit about the music. I have another musician friend who's just not a big fan of a phaser, but I am, and he kindly tolerates me using it a lot. I like it here in this U2 song. Got that familiar U2 sonic space. And there are also some sound and mixing changes that were made for the bridge that I think are interesting. This is U2 being broodier than Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Taking me to Magnolia which is appearing here somewhere in the F-sharp minor A realm. In Tom's 31 Flavors of Broody, this is one of the sweet ones. I'm a sucker for this effect, the compound interval bass slides. It slides up to the ninth, just over the octave, right away in the intro. Dude, you had me at one of those. And then it just launches straight into the song. It's not overdone just placed here and there, and I think it's a really nice touch. We've also got a triplet rhythm in the vocal melody, and when that bass slide comes back, the A up to the ninth, the B, it does a walk down that's sort of complementary to that same feel. Okay, and that TikTok thing at the end. No, I'm not talking about the app. This thing here. If you don't hear that clock spinning, I don't know what. I'll get back to that. There are some elements in here that appear over and over in Tom Petty songs, like that minor third walk up in the same rhythm as Refugee, which is also an F sharp minor. But I don't mind. This song still stays fresh. And here's another reason for that, I think. The mood. I mean, maybe it's a subtle shift. But I feel like you 2 and Tom Petty are sitting on opposite sides of the same bar, sipping the same memory drink, and having two completely different mood experiences. Musically, these songs give off a certain flavor that feels related to me. Magnolia has those triplet rhythms in the melody, and Until the End of the World has some mm, Spanish guitar reminiscent things in the electric solo on the bridge. Until the End of the World, this is more complex with regard to tonal center. It has an E sort of thing going on. But it's way more complex than that, and I really wish I could get into it here. I am so out of time, I could spend a whole episode just on that. But the melody is doing something interesting where it's hanging out on this F sharp here. Uh, through all the different chord changes and possible key center changes um, that makes it feel sort of related to the Tom Petty way. Um, I wish I could. I wish I could get into this. No time. Moving on. So I said I have an idea of what bar they're in. I'm going to break a rule here and talk about a taboo subject. The Eagles. Hotel California 
in B harmonic minor with a reggae beat sort of going on. I had a friend in college who was trapped in a dorm that played this song on infinite repeat on a massive sound system. I honestly don't know how he lived with it for a whole year, but to be fair, he would play the music from Les Miserables on infinite repeat, so maybe he just had the kind of mind that could fight prison with prison. Now that I got you good and confused, I'm going to talk about the third member of the three-way tie. It's All Over Now by the Rolling Stones. Is it? Is it all over now? Why is the first Rolling Stones song I like in this whole list up against the other four in this lineup? This is affecting my vote, y'all. I'm not going to say too much about this song because it's much less complex, but it's ranking really high for me here because I just like everything about it. It's got some real stink face quality. It's in my three-way tie. And I will say it's not all over yet because I've got one more left. A Hard Road by Black Sabbath. Ozzy does Beach Boys. Interesting. I would listen to this, but yeah, it gets a one here. And with that final song, I will finally give you my final ranking. Did I say final enough times? At five, Center of Eternity by Ozzy. Four, Magnolia by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Three, It's All Over Now by the Rolling Stones. Two, Until the End of the World by U2. And at one, A Hard Road by Black Sabbath. Artillo thanks you for your time in listening to this rambling and now returns you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. And I thank you for that, Artillo and uh, Emotion. Uh, they, they have clearly recovered from their musical rhabdo and have come back stronger than ever. Um, I'm going to have to go and enroll in some music classes so that I can understand that and comment on it um but i agree with the stuff <laughs> about the music um yeah and then emo sean you know um yeah that 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 uh mark of the moon album really was kind of you know when you're when you're in your teens you know between 13 and 18 those those you know those are like little lifetimes each year is a is a lifetime and i think i've talked about that before and how we how we perceive time and um you know when when that song comes on center of eternity i'm i'm like like emo sean uh i'm transported back to a certain place and um you know i can i can taste the honey bun and the and the Pepsi Cola, you know, we'd stop at the store on the way to school, and you know, you get in one of those little routines where every day you get the same thing, and you know, and and then you crank the same. You know. So it was either it was either Bark at the Moon or uh, Pyromania. Those were the I think those were the two two uh, albums that we listened to the most when I was probably eighth grade, something like that. And if for some reason, when you turn once you turn 19, it all starts to just meld together, you know, like all the, 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 uh, 
because you're working, you know, when you start working that, and I've been working since I was 12, so, but I, but I didn't have, you know, I didn't have one of those jobs I went to every single day, you know, all throughout the year. My jobs were, you know, seasonal tended to be, but, um, but like once you start working daily, <laughs> that's when, that's when your time perception starts to, starts to transform into, you know, uh, five years or 10 years now for me it's like 20 years go by and it's like hey that was just yesterday you know so anyway all right let's get to our uh uh challengers poll the um council of learned elders they all uh well i don't know if i got everybody's uh vote on that but um they kind of a three-way tie between the joker by steve miller band Heartbreaker, Pat Benatar, and I was a Tiger by Survivor. The sensatorial laymen and women, they uh, voted for I have the Tiger, and uh, Pat Benatar was in the second place. Steve Miller didn't get any love. And so the total is going to be I have the Tiger is the big winner. It's going to replace, um, gosh, what was it replacing? I, I do actually have a, uh, a repository of information here where I can... I can look to see what the, uh, I think it's going to replace Tie Your Mother Down. Okay. Uh, that, to me, that makes sense. All right. Um, and then the song battle itself, I don't think I even released a poll for the sensatorial laymen and women on that one. I saw, you know, something, I got, you know, I got sick and I'm still sick. And uh, I think my brain wasn't quite working. And then I had the whole, you know, um, soundtrack battle that we kind of th- slipped in there. So, um, so anyway, this one's all Council of Learned Elders here. Okay, they came in for Magnolia with twenty three, uh, Center of Eternity in in second place with twenty. Um, it's all over now. Got fifteen until the end of the world. Ten and a hard road was last with seven. All right, so. All right, and that's that's the final total because there's no slaw vote. So what's my verdict? I am going to agree with uh, both Artillo and Emo Sean and give Center of Eternity the five. All right, I love Jakey e. Lee's guitar. Um, he he was. Um, I can't. I don't understand why why they would get rid of him or let him go. That guy had such a such a unique sound and and feel. Um, he's one of the most underrated guitar players of all time, I think. I mean, gosh, that guy just sounded good, and it was such a. Uh, I don't. I think they were disappointed with "Bark at the Moon." It seems like I remember that being the case. Now, at the time, they obviously didn't they didn't act that way. Um, they acted like, and they always act like, oh, this is the greatest album of all time, you know, because they're promoting it. But then later, when it didn't, maybe didn't do as well as they thought, I don't know, it just seems like they, they kind of downgrade that record. Um, I I thought it was fantastic. And um, and I love Jake's. <clears throat> so he, he was with them on the next album after that, The Ultimate Sin, which is what where uh, the, the, the uh, tour we saw him on. And uh, Jake's just a, I mean, he's a great 
presence on stage too. He just he just looks like a rock star and uh, has you know uh, you 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 like to watch him play guitar, you know that kind of thing. Uh, but that's just a great song, and uh, and I, I also had an Intellivision, like Emo Sean. Everybody else, I think we were the only ones that had it. Uh, everybody else had the Atari, and, you know, <laughs> the the stupid little debates that you get into as a kid, but I never I never felt an ounce of, uh, of um, shame. <laughs> or, you know, when I went into the debate on those, uh, which was better, you know, I, I was 100% confident because all I had to do was show them, you know, come over to my house and, and check it out. Okay, and they would, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is better." <laughs> okay, the only thing you could say about the Atari is it had, uh, it had games that you'd heard of from the arcade, but they sucked. They were they, uh, they were terrible versions of the game. You know, like Pac Man or something like that. It just didn't. It was no. It wasn't good. So, um, but the Intellivision games were fantastic. All right, and then my number four, I'm going to give to Magnolia, Tom Petty. Uh, every I agree with everything uh, said about that one. The the ambiance, the uh, you know, it just it, it does it does what a what a song is supposed to do in terms of transporting you to a uh, to the what the what the singer and the and the players are are thinking and feeling, and it does a good job of that. Um, that's been on my list for a while. Uh, and then number three, I'm going to give Until the End of the World a little bit higher score than they did because um, to me that one is what holds um, it holds Octune Baby together. Okay, it's the it's the kind of deep cut that uh, gives Octune Baby the you know the uh, form that it has. Uh, if that makes sense, it's it. You know, there's a musical kind of uh, theme going throughout that whole record, and this one is kind of laid bare. And then they, you know, they just come out with these these lyrics that are, you know, it's it's that typical YouTube vagueness that really does bother a lot of people. And I'm not, you know, I'm not super impressed by it. Okay, uh, Bono was in his I'm cool Bono phase, which is fine. It's probably a little bit better than I'm Save the World Bono phase. Uh, if you ever want to understand, you know, why some people aren't aren't uh, as impressed by Bono's uh, philanthropy, watch the the documentary Poverty Inc. All right, where actual <laughs> Africans are explaining to you what what the consequences of Bono's actions are, okay? And uh, and he seems to get it sometimes and then other times not. So that's again, vague vagueness is uh, is great when you're a rock star, okay? It works really being cool is absolutely, you know, essential when you're a rock star. But I have a feeling that, you know, uh, one of those one of those final tests that we all face is going to be, can you can you drop the cool act? Okay, can you drop that right now? And if you can't, then you know you've chosen most unwisely, I think. All right, uh, number two, I'm going to give hard a hard road a two because uh, 
I actually do like that song. This is where where emo Sean and I diverge. Um, I like happy. It's not really happy, but I mean, you know, I I, I like those last two Black Sabbath albums before Ozzy left. All right, I I get what they were trying to do, and uh, you know, if I if I were a Black Sabbath fan at the time, I might have felt differently. Um, but I that means. I just wanted to wallow in the in the sludge, you know, kind of thing. I'm rambling. I got a cold, so I'm just trying to trying to get my thoughts out here. But uh, I don't know. I like I like it more than than most people do. I think. And uh, uh, that that's that song reminds me of a Tommy James and Shondell song called "Dragging the Line." Go go listen to that and tell me if you agree. Okay, and then I'm gonna have to kick it. So it's all over now. I I thought I was gonna be higher. I thought that was gonna stay on the list, but it just it does it, it. It's not for me. It's not well recorded. <laughs> it's not well produced. It just sounds ancient to me. Uh, I love old blues music, uh, but the the big knock on old blues and the reason why I don't listen to more of it is it's just so badly recorded. You know, and and that that's no, you know, not not their fault. They didn't have the the technology, but uh, I just don't really care to listen to it. You know, I can stand a little bit of it here and there, but um, after a while, it's like, no, nah, I gotta I gotta hear something that's well produced. Okay, um, all right. So that is it. That's my verdict. Our next challenger poll is going to be Night Ranger. They're back. They've already got a song on the on the list now with sister christian this one we're going to go with you can still rock in america okay we have permission from night ranger to still rock uh seven mary three gets another shot with cumbersome okay i have a feeling they ain't gonna make it again and blink 182 gets a second chance with what's my age again so we'll see how you guys uh feel about that and our next, our next song battle is going to be interesting. I think it's got a trigger for everybody. Okay, this is a everybody gets triggered song battle. All right, first song, not so much. It's a, it's a, it's a, a newer, newer Boston song. Uh, one of their latter from the '90s, so it's not like super new. Um, but it's from their album "Walk On." The song "Walk On." All right, listen to it. I think you'll you'll like it. Um, and then My Guitar Gently Weeps by the Beatles. That one's going to open up a lot of a lot of uh, synapses. Uh, Rebel Soul by Kid Rock. Now, here we go. The, uh, the, while My Guitar Gently Weeps is going to uh, trigger a lot of boomer hate, uh, understandably, Rebel Soul is going to trigger you know people who hate Kid Rock. And I used to be among them, amongst them. Um, especially because he, he was so mean to, uh, to Joe Dirt in, in the documentary Joe Dirt. Uh, but I was, I was convinced, someone convinced me that that was, that was just a role that he played, that Kid Rock wasn't actually, um, mean like that. So, uh, I give him another shot. And then, of course, uh, Emo Sean, you get under the bed, get in your fetal position, because we're getting another Christmas song on here, The First Noel by Elvis, which is funny because it's, it's number on the list, the way the list is structured now, is 666, <laughs> which is funny because, uh, you know, 
we when we moved to California, that was our that was our address, six 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 Hendrix Street, uh, and uh, you know we were all my dad was a de- deacon. We were all born again Christians, and uh, so it was just funny to us. It wasn't like, <coughs> oh no, we're gonna the devil lives here or anything like that. But uh, uh, we just thought it was hilarious. Uh, and then finally, uh, Trust by Leonard Skinner. And my boy Russ is going to be really excited about that. Every time we talk about Leonard Skinner, he he has to bring up that song. That's his favorite Skinner song. And it's a good one. So uh, that is our next song battle. And we got some new stuff. Uh, Artilla was kind enough to reach out to some, some uh, bands. And we got a new band we're going to feature in our playout. The name of the band is called Untitled Avenue. I think that's a play on where the streets have no name. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, they got this. Uh, they're an interesting band. Uh, some of you younger folk probably would like this. I like it. I, I, I dig it. Um, but it reminds me of stuff that my kids listen to. Some of my kids. Uh, it, this song is called Art of Arson. All right, guys. Have a good one. My mind is clean. Take your hands from mine